episode 44, Urban Trauma, Schizophrenia, and Self-Care. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, and today we hear Dr. Ashley Elliott, PhD, Perspective. Join 2017 Podcast Awards-nominated host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, as he gets a rarely seen look into the specialties of all types of doctors and guests, plus marketing, travel tips, struggles, goals, and relationship advice. Let's hear a doctor's perspective. I couldn't be more thrilled. I'm starting a series this week. It might be a mini series or it might be a nice long series. It just depends on how many guests I can get lined up in a row. Right now we got psychologists, we got doctors of chiropractic, medical doctors, and more. We're doing a spotlight on African-American doctors, men and women. So stay tuned for the next couple of weeks. You're going to find out all about what they do, what their specialty is, maybe some unique struggles, some unique cultural experiences on top of some amazing knowledge that we can listen learn and implement to make our practices and our life better. The African-American Doctor Holiday Season Series on a Doctor's Perspective. Let's do this. Welcome back to the show. I think you are all going to enjoy today because we're going to go into what self-care is, why it's important. We're going to talk a little bit about schizophrenia and some of the troubles with the system that we have and her specialty, urban trauma. Cycles of violence and poverty. She's going to go over her community activism, motivational speaking, her thoughts on telemedicine, and even more. She's really passionate. We'll start the interview with a personal story of hers. So all the show notes can be found at doctorsperspective.net slash 44. Let's go hashtag behind the curtain. Live from China, we have a fantastic guest today, a doctor of psychology, all the way from Washington, D.C., Dr. Ashley Elliott. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I feel like I'm transported internationally. I feel nice. Oh, it's going to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was on your Instagram and you have these great little 30 second videos that are, I don't want to say choppy because that doesn't sound right, but they're cut. It's like they're really edited together nicely. Yes. Well, thank you. And they're just really good, like motivational. You had one that was pretty cool. It was the word pray, and you had used it two different ways. It's like, oh, that's clever. She's putting some thought <laughs> behind her Instagram. So I thought that was really cool. So it's like, okay, let me get her on the show. So tell me how, of all the things out there in the world, how did you pick psychology and then to go all the way to the doctor level? Wow. Well, first, thank you for all those nice things you say, because those videos, uh, I didn't know that they would be affecting people the way that they are. So that's always a plus. Um, to be honest, I got into pursuing psychology because when I was younger, I was about four years old and I went to a clinical psychologist for some help. I had experienced some trauma and had encountered chronic interactions with trauma. And my mom, being the good mom that she was, said, OK, we're going to put her in therapy. However... I will say one thing, one brag about myself. I've always been book smart and precocious. Mm. So this clinician decided that he was going to make me fabricate stories about my trauma. So basically he was trying to get me, get me to say whatever he thought would get him more hours billed. Oh, and no. he would try to give me candy and we we're going to do the whole session. It's going to be a play session. So at four, I realized I would just lie and make up stories, but I would do it in a way that I was kind of hinting to my mother. This is what he's going to tell you. So long story short, he got caught in a lie 
And after being in therapy for six months with him and then six months with another therapist who was just evil, <laughs> she didn't like kids. I don't know why she even was a child psychologist. She hated kids. Um, <laughs> I looked at my mom <laughs> and I said, I, I, I think I told her that I was scared that other kids would go to them and they would feel sad, too. So I just started it. I wanted to find a way for other children, other adults you know, to have their voices being heard without somebody trying to twist their narrative for gain or just to say, hey, I did my job today. Wow, that is horrible. <laughs> Professionally. I mean, that's like scars that'll go deep. And you obviously still remember all of this stuff at such a young age. Yes, that was it was it was the dreaded day. I had therapy every Thursday and I would always remember <sighs> what do I have to say so I can get out with this candy today? You know? <laughs> Gonna give me some. But but um, I and since then, um, at seven, I decided that mom, this is what I wanted to do. At first, I told her I wanted to be an artist. And she said, well, artists don't get paid until after they die. And I was like, well, can't do that. <laughs> and then I said, maybe I want to be a police officer. And then she uh, brought to my attention the fact that police officers sometimes get shot at. So I was like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. Uh -uh. Um, let's just protect people's feelings. I'll just be this, <laughs> this psychologist and go from there. And that's really how it started. I made that statement at four and never looked back. Wow. What a wonderful. And your mom, how amazing that she was able to think that far, especially back then. I mean, I don't know how old you are, but it's got to be at least 20 something years. So mm -hmm. back then. People didn't really do a lot of psychology, I didn't think. So that's really forward thinking to get her daughter some help. That's cool. Yeah, I, I'm very appreciative of her. She made sure that she wanted to make sure that I didn't have some of the same issues that he, she had growing up, especially in the black community. It's it's not uncommon for people to say, you know, you don't air your dirty laundry. Mm -hmm. If something's and if something's wrong with anybody in our family, we're just going to talk about it amongst ourselves and, and maybe it'll go away. And my mother having that happen to her was like, no, we're not going to do this again. We're going to break this cycle. And she has been my cheering voice ever since then um, for getting me the help that I needed and also helping me stay the course to be the doctor that I want to be today. It's all because my mama. Wow. Thanks, mom. Hey, mom. Where did you go to school? Um, I'm born and raised in Washington, D.C. Oh, okay. So... Um, I've had public school and charter school and I guess you could say magnet school education here. And then I uh, went to undergrad at Virginia Commonwealth University is in Richmond, Virginia. Go Rams, go. <laughs> <laughs> and then I came back home and I got my master's and my doctorate at the American School of Professional Psychology. Wow. D.C. So you, so you grew up in just that high high intensity lifestyle. Yes, nothing like it. Uh, it's it's a truly even going to Virginia, which is not far. Central Virginia is two hours away from my home. But the pace was so slow. I was like, I could never live here. Oh, then I love people screaming in traffic for me. Not, <laughs> not enough rudeness. There's not a long enough line in Starbucks for me. I need more people. That's right. <laughs> How are you supposed to check your feed if you don't have time in Starbucks, right? Right. Yeah. My goodness. <laughs> So what have you decided, because I, I've known people, I've interviewed other people who become you know, doctors of psychology. There's so much training. There's so many ways that you can go. What, ends up, mm -hmm. what did you end up specializing in? That's, I didn't, uh, my track is clinical psych, 
And my my specialty is I call urban trauma. Urban trauma deals with the chronic cycles of violence, poverty, um, and just other things that affect overlooked and uh, poverty-stricken communities. Um, there's a lot of, I'm, I'm from Washington, D.C., but it's not all president in the Capitol and monuments. They're, they're not so great um, neighborhoods everywhere mm-hmm. in the world. And there are a lot in D.C. Um, so I decided that a lot of my focus was going to be with um, adolescents and adults who deal with those urban traumas. I also have my other specialty is chronic or severe mental illness. So that's when we get into like personality disorders, um, very chronic depression, schizophrenias. I'm the schizophrenia whisperer. Ha ha. Um, that's one of my favorite populations to work with. Um, so it's kind of a catch all that I, I do see children, but I prefer adolescents because it's such a molding period of development. And plus, Teenagers are hilarious, so <laughs> I guess I enjoy them. They're hilarious. Children, teenagers, and older people—they're hilarious. <laughs> I heard. I heard from a uh, a youth pastor one time. He goes, "You know, in junior high, all the kids just—they want you to like them. It's like, oh, what can mm-hmm. I do? And then once they hit puberty, high school is like, ah, you're not cool anymore. How can everybody nope. like me? But they have exactly. that that dynamic switches. But it's, it's funny to see. I love it. Schizophrenia, though, how did that seems like a population from what I've heard is they can be very well managed if they stay on the drugs, you know, the medications. But if they don't, that's when they end up in the state system because they were walking around drunk or naked or just kind of doing something that they they're going to get arrested for. They find out they're a little off and then they get shipped off and then they're in a institution for three months or six months at a time and they can't get out. What what do you think that um, growing up? I grew up in the 90s and early 2000s in D.C. That was a lot of my childhood. So what you're, what you're describing is a lot of what we saw. Um, okay. The majority of the homeless population were those with severe mental illness or homeless veterans. Um, and sometimes you have that catch-all. You have the homeless veteran that had PTSD and or schizophrenia. And um, I actually got into it because of everybody else's apprehension with treating it. Mm. Um, I realized that it can be challenging, but the challenge has this magical result if you hit the mark right where it needs to be. And I got thrown into it by um, the first therapy case I was assigned when I was an extern was one of my supervisor's patients who was paranoid schizophrenic. And uh, she was going, she's also in the army, she's a sergeant. So she was like, I'm going on a mission. I'm going to give you my caseload. And she just kept laughing. And I didn't know what the hell she was laughing at. <laughs> and mind you, I'm like three months into doing therapy, still a student. And she's like, oh, yeah, here's the file. Um, I'm going to sign her in so you can meet her. And she kicks in my door. She throws a bunch of stuff around. And she starts going on a rant about how... Um, the government had tapped every single phone. She made a bulletproof vest out of magazines and newspapers, flipped over my desk, destroyed the whole place and was just yelling. And I'm sitting in a chair and I looked at her and I was like, are you done? And she said, yes. And she started crying and cleaning up the room. And then I didn't know then, but my supervisors were on the other side of the door waiting to see what happened. And they were like, you're going to be fine. And I was like, oh, cool. I mean, <laughs> that's, 
started. <laughs> I passed the first test and I just was like, oh, this is cool because you never know what you're going to get when a person's in active psychosis and it can go wrong. It but sounds like a it lot did. Of times, yeah. People don't put the effort. A lot of clinicians kind of push it off like, oh, I'm just going to hospitalize. But everybody with schizophrenia, there are different levels. You can go in and out of episodes. I know people who have managed their, um, their illness successfully with the help of psychotherapy and drugs. I don't believe in just giving one. Um, I feel like if you're going to do the medication, you definitely need to have that therapy to manage it because pills don't get rid of all your problems. Um, They just help with some of the symptoms. And I'm weird. So (laughs) all the things that are weird (laughs) and challenging and nerdy and give me more information about cool stuff, I follow. So, yeah. (laughs) It sounds like it's one of those, even if they really don't like it and don't want to be that way. It's not like you can just take an antidepressant and you get out of it and you can function. This is actually a mental issue that's not going to yes. go away. So you, there's only so much. I don't know. Want to say there's only so much counseling, but if they're aware of what's going on, they can find ways to help manage it as well as here's a pill so that it does kind of make it a little bit easier as well. Is that yeah, true? It, it, it depends on the symptom severity. So if you have a uh, Okay, so there's different types of schizophrenia. And the DSM-5, there we call it, we put the schizophrenia spectrum. There are different schizophrenic disorders. Mm-hmm. So if you have a paranoid schizophrenic, that's usually what you've seen in movies. Ah. That's the outlandish one that has the really outlandish delusions and will tell you the bugs are in the wall and I'm putting an aluminum hat on because they're going to get my thoughts. You have catat- catatonia, which is basically a comatose state. They don't speak. They ah. don't interact. It's very eerie. And then you have different uh, uh, patterns where it kind of you have one psychotic episode and then the rest of your life is chill. Oh, Um, so it really depends on the person and it really depends on the support team. Schizophrenia is one of those disorders where if you do not have support, research shows this could go badly for you. Your prognosis will be negative. Mm -hmm. Um, And also schizophrenia has one of the higher rates for depression and suicidality because of the heaviness of the symptoms that come. Yeah. So it's something that you have to, you have, you have, you don't put kid gloves on, but um, you really have to be committed to following this person's treatment to the T and Mm. not, not throwing it away, not throwing the baby with the bath because, Oh, they need to be medicated. Oh no, they don't want to do this. It takes time. Lots of time. Especially if you're a counselor who is like, I really don't like these cases, but it's part of my job. So I just do what I need to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? People do that as well, I would guess. I've seen it. Yes, they do. Yeah. Mm-mm. Well, and one more question about the, the adolescence. The issues that you see, like you said, with like urban urban issues and violence and mm-hmm. poverty, are you finding that the, the, the services that you provide really help them to get over it or to cope with it or or how does it, what kind of outcomes do you look for? Well, I would hope so. (laughs) Well, um, as a therapist, that one-to-one, a lot of what the parents and adults don't understand is teenagers actually like structure and discipline. So um, you would think, oh, they're out of control. They're out of control because their boundaries haven't been firmly set. So they're always setting the limits. Once you address that with a child, once you address that with the adolescent, the teenager, and it goes to a, we go into a story of what do you need? What are you looking for? What is this acting out? Why, why are you doing this? 
And once you get into those boundaries and you get into those feelings and you help them um, understand, well, if you throw true story, if you throw a brick at your mom's boyfriend's car, that's not good. But if you told your mom what in the conversation with your with her boyfriend made you mad to want to pick up a brick <laughs> and chuck it at the car, you see how that might go differently for you. So <laughs> you have those moments, and also a lot of kids. It is think about yourself, your sixteen year old self. The person that you would are least likely to take advice from is your mom or your dad. Right. There was probably some adult in your life that you thought was the most amazing, coolest person in the world. And you could go to that person with with your secrets, with the things you were scared of, with the things you were proud of. And you knew there was no judgment and they accepted you for you. That's what I bring to the therapeutic experience with an adolescent. It's their safe place. Mm. So someone who throws a brick, do they realize like, "Eh, maybe I shouldn't do this or are they just so full of anger that they don't even care or maybe there's no there's no repercussions so it doesn't matter i've seen both i've seen um kids who are genuinely remorseful for some of the things that they've done i've had kids you know break out into like hysterical sobbing because they know the weight of what they did and they just wanted somebody to pay attention to them and that was the only way and of course i've also i've also had kids who have straight up threatened to shoot people or hurt people. And you're like, well, you know, the repercussions, you know, the consequences. And they're like, okay, so what? I'll go to jail. I don't care. You know, it, but it gets like that. Yeah. How do you not <laughs> care? Like, <laughs> Because there's this, with certain children I've seen, especially in the last couple of years, when I've been working in different schools and lending myself to different agencies, it's more of nothing's going to change anyway for me. My life uh, is out of my control. My circumstances are out of my control. I could choose to change my behavior, but the people around me aren't going to change. So why the hell should I care? Wow. Now, is it's that hell- how do you get that, out of that? That It's hard. It's all about um, chipping away at trust. Mm-hmm. Once you develop um, a line of trust with them and you prove to them that, you know, what you say to me or, or anything you say to me, I'm not going to try to use it against you like an adult, like a principal, like a teacher, you know, and let's think about your actions. And because some kids don't, they just don't think that far. Some kids are just like, I just, I was mad. I picked up the brick and I threw it. And then you have some kids who I was mad because of this. And I picked up the brick because I and threw it because I know that he would be mad. And now we're bad together, you know? Oh yeah. There's so, that. You know, every teenager has that that point, but teenagers who are struggling with um, their emotional wellness may have those points where it's really cloudy and it's, I'm just trying to make myself feel better. I'm trying to feel something. Yeah. Feel something. Wow. That is, that is a true statement. And if you don't have a lot of family support or role models, mm-hmm. then it definitely would make it hard to see that I can move on, do better. I can get out of this situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Do you work in a, like, you don't have to say where you work or anything. Uh, is it a, is it a private clinic or is it like a big organization that covers a lot of DC? Um, I work, I have, well, there's two things. I work as an educational advocate for a law firm. Um, and that covers, they work exclusively with education uh, cases in DC. Um, I provide assistance 
to the lawyers and my clinical ex- uh, experience and opinion when examining cases. Oh. So that's that. And then by myself, um, I have my own company, which is Vivid Innovations Consulting, LLC. That's where Dr. Vivid comes from. Uh-huh. And I do a lot of community activism. I do social skills groups. I do wellness groups. I do motivational speaking. And I do um, contract work for other agencies. I come on as a mental health consultant, and I can help you with your summer program. I can help you with your training. I do seminars. So I wanted to do something where no matter what, I was able to reach as many people as possible. I like that. You've got the one-on-ones, but then you have the global, well, say global, but (laughs) global in the sense of not just one-on-one all the time. And I treated 30 people this week and that's all I'm going to touch. But you actually have a bigger outreach, a bigger touch on society with, with the motivational speaking and all the other things you just mentioned. That's pretty cool. Thank you. You don't see a lot. Of, well, I guess I don't see a lot of people wanting to do that as a um, as a as a job where it's always like a different kind of gain. It seems like mm-hmm. there's a behind the scenes of like, why am I actually trying to be on a platform? And it's not normally to help as many people as I can. Sometimes it's just that's the way I make more money. I have to see a lot yeah. of people to make more money. But for you, it's more like the more I educate somebody, the more likely I can actually affect an entire population of people. Exactly. I, I always tell people I when a, my what I do is passion, so it doesn't feel like work to me. Mm-hmm. And I can always I I'm my mother's daughter. I know a million ways to make a check, but so that doesn't phase me. I've uh, literally at one point when I was doing um because I was doing therapeutic work for an agency, I didn't get paid for eight months straight. And everybody else was like, "You need to quit your job." I'm like, "If I quit my job." There are people who won't be served. The first year and a half I had when I started my business, I charged no one for anything. I just wanted to go out and do my rounds in the community and talk to them and show them that I'm here. I waive consultation fees. And even the last week, I gave away like seven free sessions. Wow. And then I discounted my uh, sessions by about 85%. So, yeah, I, I'm. it's not about the money to me because money comes and goes. Sanity. I want that to be stable. I'd rather chase sanity and chase people's healing and recovery than chase a buck. Yeah. And it sounds to me like you're doing the hard work now and eventually it'll get to the point where you are able to, you know, the, you know, you can actually charge for what you're looking for because you've become the expert. You've become, no, we've got to have Dr. Vivid. That's <laughs> who we have to have for this talk. And at that point, yeah. you're like, well, all right, we're getting, let's, let's discuss this. <laughs> What are some of the most common misconceptions, not really necessarily in psychology, but with the subset that you work with? What are some of the common mm-hmm. misconceptions that you, you hear? Number one, that everyone who comes to therapy is medicated. Um, I tell people all the time, I have people who are upset because their boyfriend likes some girl's picture on Instagram. And then I have people who've been hearing voices for 13 years there, everybody's not going to get Medicaid and everybody's not going to get the same um, route for therapy. That's always the first question. Is um, Then the second follow-up is, can you prescribe medication? A lot of people mis- uh, mistake psychologists with psychiatrists mm-hmm. and psychiatrists actually prescribe medications. But we as psychologists, we treat, we uh, identify, we diagnose 
and we provide that consulting piece. So sometimes people will say, well, I saw my psychiatrist and he only talked to me for 15 minutes and sent me home. That's what he was supposed to do. Yeah. <laughs> now, if you want to talk, you need to see your psychologist, your therapist, um, even there's some licensed social workers that you can speak to. But that's the that's one of the biggest ones, the drugs. Um, also, that I'm going to make you lay on a couch. No. <laughs> Where's your couch? Um, therapy. I've had therapy with people where I've walked around parks talking to them. And they say, that's crazy. Well, that's the only way they would talk if they were walking. I've had um, sessions where I've laid on the floor and we look at the ceiling and imagined how the clouds would feel if we told the clouds our feelings with little girls. You know, I've you know, it's about meeting you where you are. Yes. And I don't think that um, I think that we kind of get a misconstrued and a bad rap from media the way um, TV shows it. <laughs> You know, movies portray the therapist. It's like, how do you feel today? Yeah. What else do you think? How about that? We talk about your feel, and it's not <laughs> what it is. With me, it's more a realistic conversation. Like I talk to, I'm talking to you and your listeners now is mostly the same when you see me in therapy because it's the human connection, right. and everybody else is boring. No. <laughs> yeah. It, do people always want? Uh, an answer. Just tell me what to do. Here's my yes. problem. Just just give me the answer, please. Yes, that, that's true. Not even I'm not even going to lie and say that's not from my clients to my family to my friends. It's always, what should I do? And uh, one of the things that also a misconception, counselors, you go to counselors for advice, right? Think about your guidance counselor, um, your ac- academic counselor. They're helping you get that advice and giving you suggestions. What I'm doing as a clinician is helping you craft the tools so you can actually solve the problem. But I'm here to help you. You know, I'm sharpening your iron, you know, so you can have these tools ready. I don't, they're very few situations where you actually say, this is what you need to do. Um, and those situations are usually when we're talking about, you can do, if you're thinking about doing something harmful to yourself, or it's something that it's legitimately a red flag, um, then I'm like, then I have to kind of put my foot down because I'm responsible for your safety. Right. But no, that's not how it works. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not a fortune teller. I'm not a mind reader. Well, I could go bad in a hurry, huh? <laughs> you said to do this and it went really bad exactly uh, actually that is one of the reasons um that therapists and also past- pastors I actually talk about this with the pastor of mine pastors and therapists it's the same thing if i say you should do this and you go out and do it and it does not work in your favor now i'm going to lose my license probably or i'm going to have you know some type of um, complaint filed against me and also the thing about it, well, about giving advice to that extent is m- mostly we're thinking what we would do in that situation. Right. You don't have the same resources I, as I have. You don't have the same life and the same responses to things that I have. So I can't tell you you should. I can help you figure out what you should do. Yeah, we can talk about let's play this out to the nth mm-hmm. degree and let, let's see what, what forks in the road can we foresee and see how this might play out. Egg, precisely. That's exactly what it is. Okay. Um, I don't. I always say, be wary of people who just want to give you unsolicited advice all the time. Yeah. So, 
what kind of unique abilities, mindsets, or strategies do you have that set you apart from your competition? <laughs> Ooh, now we're getting into the good stuff. Um, yes. <laughs> well, one, I, I'm, I'm blessed that people tell me nice things about me. So apparently I have this uncanny ability to connect with people on a human level very quick. I'm a really good at um, connecting and developing a rapport based on just feeling the person's vibe in the room Mm -hmm. um, because that's a lost art. So that, but also I, I'm not your traditional therapist in the way I think there are different um, theories and there are different um, trains of thought when you're practicing. And some people like to go the whole Freud route when it's psychoanalytic and we're getting into your deep desires and your mom and your dad and what happened. And then we have a, a cognitive behavioral therapist who are all about your thoughts and how they influence your behaviors. And then there's me. I'm a humanistic existentialist, which is a fancy word for I believe in the power of the human experience. I don't see you as a problem. I'm seeing you as a person that functions and has some problems. The things that you do do not make you inherently bad or good. Um, and also, there's all, um, an, a sense of unconditional positive regard with me. If you do something that I don't like, I'm able to, you know, separate the behavior from the person and say, if you, let's say, Dr. Justin curses me out on this podcast, which you hope you won't. And then, and then two minutes later, you call me back and say, can we finish the interview? I'm going to say, yeah. Okay, and you like, but you just cursed me up. I separated the behavior from the person. Whatever was going on then, we can discuss that, but I'm not gonna hold that against you. Uh, it's it's very it's a very fine line to tightrope mm-hmm. because sometimes you know people are so used to uh, uh, doing things to get a response out of people. You get some clients who are like, why aren't you why aren't you mad? Like, why would I be mad for if they're if I'm mad? I'm just as you know, unproductive is the people around you who aren't helping you, you know. So there's that. <clears throat> and also I do weird things. So <laughs> they call me the hippie therapist at my old job, which is funny. Oh, So I'm all about feelings and vibes. So if we, um, for some of my schizophrenic patients, art is a big thing. Schizophrenic patients who, it's this love of art, especially visual art. So I would paint. Um, with my parents, my patients, like I said, I've done like body scans where I've let had one of the kids lay on the floor and trace their body. And we talked about all the places that they felt their hurt. I like to do bring in a lot of different interventions, some that I've created on my own. I use music. I use dance. I use art. Um, I'm a reflective person. So whatever language you use in the session is the language I'm going to give you. It and really just in tune to other people's it's cliche to say I'm so in tune with their emotion but that's the person I am I want them to shape their experience and it to be a genuine experience and you can't do that in a traditional talk therapy setting you gotta add some spice to it or you're gonna lose that relationship that's what I was gonna say it sounds like you're actually taking your job seriously and then at the same time you're like if I'm trying to get the best results I have to change sitting across from me on a desk in a chair Knee to knee is not going to be the, the case for a lot of these people. We have to nope. get inventive and get creative because in the end, that's what's going to get them to open up. And then, like you said, trace out your fear, you know, 
trace out the places that you've hurt. For a kid, that makes, you know, maybe for an adult as well, but to me that that makes sense because mm-hmm. you, they don't know how to process and they don't even know what they're feeling. They just feel like maybe their their stomach's in knots or, yes. you know, like, oh, then you can explore it. Right. You're on the money. It, it, you're right there. You know, a lot of people, especially dealing with the diverse community, as being a, um, a African-American therapist, understand that there are different cultural biases um, when it comes to therapy. Like you said, with the 45-year-old woman whose mom told her to pray about it, but her problems are still there, she doesn't want to sit across the desk from you and just talk for 45 minutes. You know, and and that's where a lot of the diversity gets lost. Um, you have to really meet your your client where they are and be willing to understand that this journey, they don't want a journey like everybody else's. They want something that's unique and something that actually is effective. In order to be effective, you you have to know your client and you have to understand that. You can read all the books in the world. You get in that session for the first time. It's not going to go textbook. Um, you you have to have an open mind. I find that people um, tend to get burnt out earlier along when they don't know how to flex their creative muscle. Yeah. Um, and and that's it's problematic for clinicians because once you're burnt out, you really aren't giving your best. So you can be missing things mm-hmm. or. You can you kind of like can muddy the rapport because you're just tapped out. And that's how they feel. They're coming to you because they're tapped out. We can't be tapped out together. So I always try to find things to make it so I'm, I'm always learning. I'm always doing something new and I'm always trying to reinvent, do something innovative and creative and vivid. Well, you know, if you're not willing to break out of what you're doing, you're, you're not going to see the results. And you're like, well, exactly. these people don't respond to me. And you just get frustrated. And do, do you find that, you know, a black woman, different culture than my white man growing, you know, growing up, there's different cultural variances and things. Have you found that that has been helpful in connecting with your clientele? Uh, has it changed? In, I mean, would you say like, yeah, it's changed anything or helps you connect in any way or not? Um, the experience, most of my clients, when I first started doing therapy, most of my clients were African-American. Mm-hmm. And in the training program and in school, I'm just going to be completely honest with you. I, there weren't a lot of African-Americans. There weren't a lot of a lot of Latino classmates. There weren't a lot of Asian classmates. So you it depended on what population you wanted to get. You had to really be prepared to um, really be prepared to either be put in a place where you're only going to get one type of demographic or you're going to get what you're going to get what you want, you think you want and be bored out of your mind. So with me, and also I've I've always been aware of the fact that I look younger than I am. So that, that was a curse and a blessing because it's this little black girl who's sitting across from you and she wants you to talk but she she sounds like you, you know, mm-hmm. being able to bring that experience in the room. I remember when I first started, I had this really good friend. He is um, Caucasian male. He is hilarious. He's another clinician. And this woman came in and she said, am I supposed to see him? And she looked at me for like this black girl nod of approval. I'm like, he's good. He's good. He's <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> and he was like, thank you. I'm like, you're welcome. You got the stamp, you know. <laughs> But <laughs> it, it, it also frees them 
of a little bit of that intimidation and that and that fear that comes with walking into a stranger's office. It's you look like me. Um, you understand, even if we didn't live the same life, I have some knowledge of what it's like for your experience. Um, and then some cases, being a black therapist, it can also be daunting as you're the token person in the grad school program, which I ran into a lot. So, yeah, you run into the, it's funny now, but it wasn't funny then. You run into the, should, should if, if they're playing rap music, should I tell them to turn it off? You should, what, what question is this? Like, or anytime there was anything diverse that came up in a meeting, like all the white faces look at you and go, how do you feel about that? Yes. Can you chime in please? Right. It is like, uh, (laughs) no, but you know, it's something again, my mom, um, I used to cry about every, I was crying about every three weeks in grad school. First of all, it's, it's difficult. And second of all, I like I, I was underrepresented people didn't there were some people who just did not like our presence in the program that they were in it, it was there was a lot of like um, microaggressions and like prejudice comments made and it can get to you mm-hmm. but at the same time it also you know added more to my experience as uh, you know a black woman who's trying to heal other people no matter what color you are I can tell you that you one time someone's like, when the last time you've been called, you know, the N word? And I was like, about two weeks ago in class. <laughs> <laughs> no. And, you know, it, it. you can get to those issues. And even with people of other cultures, when you just see a person of color, it's just kind of like this sigh of relief. Like, you get me. Yeah. Um, even if it's not true, because there are some people who are so disconnected from their own diverse, their own diversity issues, their own cultures, that don't, that doesn't make a connection. But when you do connect, it's powerful. And you kind of got that, like I said, that nod of approval, like, OK, fine. She won't do me wrong. Right. She understands. Yeah. I hope I'm making sense. You are. Well, <laughs> it's true. Uh, it's kind of a weird thing for me to say. But, you know, I live in China. Everybody's <laughs> Chinese. Like I'm the only not Chinese person in an entire city of about mm, 200,000 people. So anywhere as I go, especially if you start going off to like a smaller store, everybody's just kind of looking at you like, oh, what's a white guy doing here? That's I've never (laughs) seen one of those before. Literally never seen one in person before. And if you see another white person, I'm like, oh, I've literally walked across the street. I'm like, hey, what's going on? What are you doing here? You want to get coffee? <laughs> it's, like, it's a familiar face. I don't even know what you're here, but please, let's have a conversation in English. We're friends forever. Yeah. So I actually feel like I can understand a little bit of that. Whereas before coming here, that's a, it, not something I would have been able to say, I think. Um, what type of advice could you possibly have for college kids who maybe are thinking about doing what you're doing? And then potentially graduates who are about to finish and aren't really sure what to do now. Um, one of the, I was about to make a joke and I was like, nope, don't do that. Um, <laughs> one of the, for college students, I would definitely say it's so cliche, but time management and not in the way that most people think. You know, when you go to college, people say time management, you need to find time to study, you need to find time for yourself. Time management in terms of taking time to find out who you are. And if this is really what you want to do, um, it's it's not a profession where you just take your lab coat off. And I'm just I'm just using this. I'm not right. throwing any job. You take a lab coat off. You just put your you hang your hat on a rack, and you can be whoever you want to be after that. There's such a disconnect. It's a very heavy emotional connection with what you're doing, 
And it really takes some self-introspection to, to am I ready to handle the weight of other people's issues on a regular basis? Um, I also would tell them, I, I, I did have, a, I went at VCU, we had externships. So I had the uh, responsibility, I had that, excuse me, I had the opportunity to work with a neuropsychologist and to work in a free clinic. So I would say if you can get any type of volunteer hours or externships for free, yes, for free, go and do that so you can understand what you're about to get into before you petition to go to grad school and you get into it and you're like, oh, this is not this is not for me. Right. Um, and then in, in, and it goes hand in hand with the grad student. It's a long road. Um, it's not for the weak at heart. You know, there's a lot of things that you have to handle before you can, you, you know, get that piece of paper in your hand. And I want to self-care. Self-care is so real. In grad school, I run, I run myself ragged. Um, yeah. And, you know, lots of lots of wine, lots of crying. Lots of studying and then drinking more wine and crying, you know, <laughs> in, in retrospect, it's funny, but you forget how to take care of yourself. You for, you start being hard on yourself. I have to prepare for this. I have to prepare for that. I have to prepare for this. So you're going without sleeping. You're eating crap that you shouldn't be eating. And if there were a couple of times where I just know if I would have taken time out of my schedule to just say, take a nap, be nice to yourself, Ashley, take a shower. If you take a shower now eat something, take a 30 minute nap, the world won't catch on fire. But that's hard so when you're in the, the grind. It is hard, but there were a couple times I had to like do, do that. And once I uh, started working on my, the, the last, um, my dissertation, I had to have like, we call it come to Jesus moments. And I was like, Nope, I need to take a break right now because if I don't, I'm going to explode. And, um, something, I also would like to say to any women or, or men for that, because I don't want to exclude. When I um, finished my program, I was pregnant with my daughter, very pregnant. Like I um, had my child right before I was going to go to my last externship, my, my internship. And they posed a question to me in the administrative offices. Which one do you want to be? Do you want to be an efficient, efficient clinician or efficient mom? And I remember thinking to myself, I have to choose. Oh. And that really hurt me. It, it was a lot of, oh, you're pregnant. People aren't going to give you a chance. Oh, that's one less thing. The one more thing they have to worry about. You would, you're going to have to make time for your work and your family. And I felt so overwhelmed and I felt terrible. I, I went back to school six days after I had my child. Wow. Um, I allowed to have maternity leave and I remember feeling so low when discussing with others what I was doing like I had to choose and now looking back on it um I, I got my ex internship that they told me I wasn't going to get I have a great daughter I haven't broken her yet four years in, and she's still not broken yes and it's such a rewarding feeling to say I did it because I knew I could instead of letting people talk me out of my dream don't let you out of your dream that's crap that somebody would would say that like, like in this especially in this day and age where uh you can there's so much support if you can if you want it to do both i mean that's wow but if you're in academia sometimes that's what they want they want the person who is uh gonna publish and maybe do research and they know the time constraints and they're like well ugh, we don't really we're not gonna put you on the tenure track 
because we know your family's more important than working 16 hours a day. So do you have to market at all? Do you market at all? Like marketing? I do a lot of social media marketing. I do a lot of events in the area. Um, I keep forgetting you're in China <laughs> or do events, not in your area, but in my area. <laughs> it's all the same. And yeah, so I've been I've been doing it that way. It, when you're a one man or a one woman band, you know, you try to find as many ways to market as possible. And um, I do a lot of free events as a marketing um, strategy, too. So people can say, if you're getting this for free, what could you be getting when you're actually paying for it? So not that I'm downplaying anything on those on those uh, free sessions, those, but I just want you to see this is a glimpse of what you can get. Mm-hmm. So I'll do that. And uh, my mom yells at me a lot for discounting things. <laughs> I get yelled at a lot. Yeah, I'm doing for free, too many things for free. You have a, I think in counseling, there's psychology, there's a, it's a tough, tough niche sometimes because you're trying to get people who may not believe in what you do or know what you do. Why don't you try me once? You know, once you try me, then you may find that it actually works. But, you know, I don't know what you charge, but sometimes it can be pretty high or enough to where you're like, ooh, I got to find the money to do this and then have Mm -hmm. the value in it. But once you start it, then you're like, okay, there's a lot of value here. Okay, I've got to make this a priority for the next couple of months. You understand. Yeah, yeah. I'm a chiropractor. We, <laughs> I understand these 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 hurdles sometimes. I, I need a chiropractor. How dare you be in China? Oh, I wouldn't live in Washington D.C. There's no way. Uh-uh. It's beautiful. It is actually. You know what? It is. I'm the opposite though. That much traffic without great public transportation would just make me go bananas though. <laughs> I was, we I went for a wedding. And I think we were up about two and a half hours north. It took so long. I was like, it's only 10 miles. Why are we still in traffic? So uh, bad. Uh, it took me um, 25 minutes to drive two blocks from my apartment to the light that I needed to turn for to get to work. It turned to, uh, sometimes, yeah, a 15-minute ride can turn into 45 minutes in the traffic. I'm not going to lie to you. Mm. Sounds like somebody needs a bicycle. <laughs> we have a lot of bike programs here though there's like uh things here now they're like different color bikes littered around the city some of them you pay for like a uh, time and some of them you pay like a dollar per 30 minutes to ride you just put the bike down the kickstands down you want to ride the back you want to ride the bike you open the app you scan the qr code and you go about your business oh i didn't know they, they have that here all over the place um in the bigger cities mm-hmm. they're ripe with uh struggles as if you're the owner of those things but as for you and me, it is amazing. Yes, it's awesome. I like it a lot. Hey, where, where do you see your field going in the next five years? Are y'all trying to get prescription rights? There are some. I'm not. I I think Arizona, maybe Florida. There are two states. Uh, I don't want to miss misspeak, but there are two or three states in the U.S. that have a track that psychologists can actually prescribe medication. Um, we're not really trying to push more towards that. The push that I see is integrative healthcare and also um, therapy via technology, using technology like um, kind of what we're doing now, like Skype sessions, a lot of teleconferencing. There are pros and cons to those. There are some people who use them. Like I do my wellness sessions that way, but I prefer 
that intimacy of having a person in front of you because there are little microaggressions. There are little minute uh, things that happen with your body and gestures that you can't really pick up over a phone. And you can see over Skype, but, yeah. you know, it's something about feeling that 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 power in the room when you hit a breakthrough mm-hmm. or when you have like a serious emotional moment. And I can see it on your face if I'm with you on Skype. But I, I always um, offer cyber or wellness connections second to me seeing you in, in vivo. I don't know. I have no problem with it. I think it's actually pretty genius, right? At least for but, maintenance patients. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. You hit it on. See, you're so knowledgeable without even acting like you're knowledgeable. It's great for maintenance, but if you have chronic illness, that's not something I will want you to utilize. And unfortunately, for how America is set up as far as money, 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 you know, that's that might be appealing to somebody who doesn't want everybody to know that they go to a therapist. They're sitting in the. You can't see behind, below my shoulders. You don't know what I'm doing with my hands. I could be not wearing pants and you wouldn't even know. And that would be weird. And it would be weird. But no, it wouldn't because, I mean, you're in here and I'm here. Right. <laughs> but, but, you know, like the whole body language. Like, like I talk with my hands and I'm talking with my hands. It just happens to be right below the camera where you actually can't see me fidgeting with my pen or doing whatever I'm doing. So I could see that being a little bit of trouble if you're trying to you know, talk to somebody and you're like, Hey, you are really fidgety. What, what right. is going on? Why are you so uncomfortable? Exactly. I can't catch those nuances from the other side of the screen. Yeah. And also when it comes to, like I said, there are pros and cons to it, but when it comes to, let's say if you had an incident where there was harm, uh, whether it be self harm, the intent to harm someone else, like I don't, I'm not, I can't get to you in time. Yeah. I'm not going to show you my bruise unless you, you know, mm-hmm. he's not going to casually show show you that. Right. And you're not in my office. Let's say you're having a depressive episode. It's really bad. And you're thinking about harming yourself. You're not physically in my office. I can't do what I would normally do and say, hey, you're going to sit here. And we're not going to move until we until we figure it out. Um, you can just cut the, t- the cut the computer off and go about your business. Yeah. Do know that what they have now is the ability for um, you to connect to hospitals and mobile crisis units in the area. Nice. So if that was to happen, um, and that's something I always tell people to make sure. But it's you know I'm not I'm not knocking it. I just want it to be a little better regulated. Sounds like there's a place for it. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna switch gears. Are you ready for the more personal side of this? And we'll wrap up. Sure, sure. Most of us have a daunting schedule. Sounds like you're gonna be the same same boat. How do you mm-hmm. take vacation? And is there a way to take more? I'm not going to lie to you. I have not been on a vacation since August 2012. All right. That's a problem. That's a problem. But I'm but I'm a big advocate for self-care. One, because I was paying for grad school. I was poor. So you could do staycations just off of work. That's what I was going to. So what I've been doing is um, taking little moments in time for myself, Mm -hmm. like like on my birthday. uh, My birthday is in December. So I'll book a, a hotel room for just myself and go and eat food that I want to eat without having a kid ask me, can they have some? It's so nice to do that. Or every twice a month, I would do things like go get my, my full mani-pedi and just go drive out to, so I go back to Virginia a lot, um, Richmond a lot. Virginia is nowhere from D.C., no, so I want people to think that it's far. 
but I go to Richmond a lot, which is two hours away. I do like drives to Ohio, drives to North Carolina, drives to Jersey, New York. I'm just you have to do something for yourself that's not connected to other people, or you you become overly dependent on the presence of other people. I'm not 30 yet. I'll be 30 at the end of this year. Uh-huh. And one of the things on my 30 before 30 was to take a vacation by myself without fear. You know, whether it's a day or whether it's a couple days, I think self, self-care, self-love and self-awareness is something that I always promote with my videos. It, it means it's, it's such a heavy thing to discuss because we put ourselves last so often Mm -hmm. and especially in the profession that I'm in you're carrying the weight of all your clients and all their issues and all your personal issues you have to find a way to back up or you're going to burn out or you're going to start hating what you do and I never want to wake up and hate what I do no never I mean you've only been doing it for a few years if you're not even 30 you got a long (laughs) career ahead of you yes I started young Started young. I started my program when I was 21. So oh, you, it's, yeah. you hit the ground running just nonstop. Nonstop. So yeah, I've been seeing people since I was 21. Ooh, I feel old. <laughs> <laughs> well, 30 is not that big of a deal. I mean, it's a big deal if you want it to be. I've done it. We just I just made it a nice experience. It was fun celebrating it, you know? Oh, I just want to I have fun and dance and drink wine and eat ice cream. <laughs> Ice cream. What's your flavor? What's your go-to flavor? I'm curious. <laughs> I have a friend uh, who's a chef. Um, she owns Ruby Scoops ice cream. She makes this amazing like peach cobbler yes. ice cream. She also makes, um, and she's trying to duplicate for me uh, whether I would say, yes, Bailey's Irish cream. Haagen-Dazs, if you're listening I don't know why you did outweigh with that flavor. That flavor saved my life in college. Cool. It's so hard to find. So, yeah, anything Ruby Scoops and Haagen-Dazs, Bailey's um, Irish cream. Do you know about Bluebell's Blueberry Cobbler ice cream? Bluebell has nothing on Ruby Scoops ice cream. All right. All right. Bluebell is tap water and <laughs> is sparkling seltzer. Well, I believe you. I mean, this is custom made versus commercial <laughs> listeria. <laughs> you remember that a couple of years ago? People were like, I don't know if they died. I hope they didn't die. I just got sick. They just got sick. And I, but the thing about Americans, and I can say this, we're dumb. We'll, we'll be told, you know, you shouldn't eat this because they were calling it for this. And we'll still eat it anyway. Please, hey. that, was, that was that was the other batch. This one's good. It's not this one. That was way before then. No, it's not. You're gonna die. Don't eat that. That was in Alabama. Don't. Surely they they just sent the bad stuff there. <laughs> that one cow. It was one cow. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was just one cow. Yeah, that's mixed in a million gallons of it, of other cow's milk. People. <laughs> hey, do you have any volunteering or hobbies or anything else that creates that work-life balance on a regular oh, yes. basis? Yes, yes, yes. Um, my um, One of my best friends, he's such a best friend that our families acknowledge us as brother or sister. Oh. He is a um, he's an athletic trainer and coach and conditioning coach for basketball. Mm. He um, trains high school students, middle school students, college students, um, people that are balling overseas. This summer, we worked together and we did uh, the clinic 
which was we called it for the summer. So he handled the basketball piece as far as the training and conditioning and all that. And I handled the social emotional piece. Mm-hmm. So it was helping them understand who they were as a player and who they are as outside of themselves as a player. Because a lot of them, all everybody knew them for playing basketball, but didn't know that I'm actually going. One of my kids was like, no one knows that I'm going to Stanford for eight days uh, to do this program because I'm going to get early admission. Nobody knows that I want to be a biochemical engineer and wow. all they see is throwing, you know, shooting threes. And also we help them with, you know, their sportsmanship and just believing in themselves and developing a solid identity. So that is one of the things I do. I still go and work with him um, when I'm free or when he needs me. He knows I do that. Um, also, I have a program called Innovator Academy and Vivid Kids where Innovator Academy is for uh, 14 to 17 year olds. Or 13 to 17 year olds and then vivid kids is from 3 to 12 and we work on different um, identity issues emotional wellness uh, we work on you know interpersonal communication in different ways and also like a lot of the kids that I had um, I kind of adopted them as like little vivid kids sisters or innovator academy sisters and we work on we go on college tours I literally uh, went with one of my mentees to her school I got her information for the school. I help move in when she needs me. I go down there and help her move and give her the, you know, that reassurance she needs to keep taking because it can be hard in college. Yeah. Um, you know, we do resume prep. We do inter- mock interviews, all those things. And all those things are completely free of charge. Wow. It's just because a lot of people in the community don't have access to it. One of my guests said maybe 42% of the people graduate that start college. Yeah, or or they don't graduate on time in their projected time. Right. I was surprised, you know, because it depends on who you run with. It's kind of like, well, the people I ran with, we all graduated. You're like, that's because of who you ran with. But the average person, I was like, oh, yeah, those people. I forgot. <laughs> the world is bigger than my social circle. <laughs> Any advice on spouses, significant others to keep that love alive and feel connected so that you don't end up in like divorce and all that Ooh, that's a good one and i can actually help you even further because i recently divorced and one of the things that i stress to people is you have to know yourself outside of a relationship Mm -hmm. you really have to know what you're looking for in life you really need to know what goals you have to achieve your ideal life because when you don't know who you are Outside of a relationship, you get into a relationship and you try to make things manifest and you have people who don't really know how to communicate their needs to one another and it can become toxic or it can just become monotonous because you haven't taken that introspective time. You're so focused on other people um, that you forgot to you forgot to love yourself before you begin to try loving someone else. Mm-hmm. And that that's paramount and also in relationships you just have to take time i recommend therapy i recommend couples counseling pre-couples counseling and things like that it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you it just means that you're willing to talk to your spouse or your significant other on a deeper level and really understand what issues or what baggage they're coming in and you know and they know what baggage or issues that you're bringing in not that it has to be this big negative thing, but there are a lot of things that, you know, without that, that therapist in the room may not get brought up. I think that's really important. And 
and the identity outside of yourself. I, my ex-husband, we still co-parent. He's a great co-parent. And one of the things I always tell him, he says, you're right. Ha ha, I'm still right even when I'm divorced. He says, you're right. I need to find time to do things outside of this. Mm-hmm. It's okay to have girls nights and guys nights and man caves and all those things because you have to, your, your whole existence can't be, I'm this person's wife. I'm this person's husband. I'm this mom. I'm this dad. Because if that's all you have, there are going to be times when these things don't look as well. They don't look great from the outside looking in. Somebody's going to be acting up. Somebody could get in an argument. You could just be feeling there are sometimes where every parent or every wife or husband may feel like, am I the worst person in the world? And if you put so much weight on that title of this is all the, this is who I am, you, you really don't give yourself a chance, yourself a chance to prosper and to grow. And then because you don't know who you are, you can't contribute to the support to get your spouse to be where they're trying to be, the person they want to become. Yeah. Not to mention people change. Mm-hmm. Whether on the purpose or an accident happens or they just get enlightened on something. Mm-hmm. That's why I think you do. Like you said, you do need to have a counselor of some sort, somebody to talk to a therapist because you might change. And you're like, I don't really know if I like the person that this they're becoming. Exactly. That's a hard conversation to have uh, at your in your uh, living room. Exactly. <laughs> or, or you get exposed to a person that uh, like, I didn't even know you had this side to you. Well, we never explored it. Yeah. Uh, you, we never explored it. And I think um, there's, unfortunately, I'm seeing a lot of younger. The trend is people are getting married younger. They're also getting divorced quicker. Oh, you know? tell you what. Yep. Yes. Millennials are like, there's a lot of pressure on us to be successful in everything. Get your, get your, uh, get your college education, get your job, get your career, get your mate, get your child, get your house. And it's like this easy bake oven of relationships. I didn't that, think y'all guys got married how, anymore. Hmm? I didn't think the millennials really got married anymore. They're just like, they don't. if we've been together for about 10 years, we'll talk about it. But until then, <laughs> we'll just live together and that's it. This is true. My friend just got, she, was, she just celebrated her first wedding anniversary. They had been together 11 years and they finally got married. Um, a lot of the people, I mean, it works. I'm not saying don't get married young, but I'm saying just be invested in finding yourself and exploring who your your significant other is before you make that commitment. Yeah. Because you want to make sure that you have what you need to persevere and you can be the support to them that they need so they can persevere as well. Otherwise, you're both screwed because yeah. emotionally you don't know each other. You don't know. Um, you're so in, and especially when you're moving in with somebody, that's just a whole different ball game. Yeah. Cause you're a person 24 seven and you're like, I did not know you just threw clothes on the hamper without actually knocking them in. Oh, well, I know. Exactly. Exactly. No, I mean, I, I hear you. I was, I was married young and then it only lasted like six years. And let me tell you, that wasn't in the life plan. It was definitely, you know, so you gotta like go through some soul searching and some counseling and some. Some some conversations with yourself to figure out, all right, let's do this better. You know, there's more than right. this. Last right. questions. You ready? Ready. Do you have any kind of morning or lunch routine that grounds you or excites you for the rest of the day? <laughs> yes. Well, um, every morning when um, my daughter wakes up, we have a handshake and I do affirmations with her Ooh. Uh, every morning and every night. And that drives me. So our handshake is a high five, a pound. 
and then we wiggle our fingertips and touch them on each other. Nice. And that's that's that. Um, every day, I look in the morning in my mirror in my bathroom. There are affirmations that I wrote for myself, and also quotes that I uh, found from my from my favorite writers and philosophers. And I attach what I interpret that quote is. So every morning when I'm washing my face and brushing my teeth, I'm repeating these things to myself. Um, no matter what the day, no matter what's going to go on in that day, I'm equipped with these affirmations and I'm going to let that kind of set the tone. Um, and lunchtime, uh, while living, you know, living in DC during the summer and the spring, I just walk, I go on a walk for a lunch break. I have to, I can't, I don't recommend people sitting in their offices all the time. Um, I need to get sunlight. Sunlight, it does wonders for your mood, literally, chemically. It enhances some of those um, those things that we need as chemicals and neurotransmitters. So I like to get as much vitamin D as I can. And also, I mean, I have night rituals too. I have to do certain things or in order for me to wake up and be prepared for the day. And that that's my daughter's ritual too. Um, I tell my daughter that she, she, she knows it now. I've been doing with her since she's one. I'm smart. I'm kind. I'm beautiful. I'm amazing. I'm nice. I'm awesome. Um, I'm loved. And she also goes, um, my potential is limitless, limitless. What's in here in your head and what's in here in your heart, no one can take away. I matter. I matter, I matter, I matter. She says her name. She says how old she is. And she identifies at least five people who love her. Oh, my goodness. We do this every night. And to the point where if she sees me having a bad day, she looks at me and goes, you're smart. You're kind. You're important. Like we we go through those. Those are the things that keep me. And I have pictures of my daughter everywhere. Those are my starters, like at my job, in my computer, on my computer, on my phone, inside of my car. So whenever I feel like, where am I going to get this fuel to keep going? I just look at her little goofy smile and I'm done. I'm good. Yeah. Well, you're setting this kid up to be highly emotionally satisfied. I hope so. My goodness. I like it. Thank you. Intentional, right? Intentionality. Mm-hmm. All right, so the last question is fun. Okay. Favorite books, blogs, podcasts, favorite phone apps, things that you secretly love and things that everybody just needs to know about. Okay. Um, Favorite book, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Don't judge me. No, that's Um, a popular one. Marcus Aurelius um, has some some of the quotes that he he has in the meditations. I have them sprinkled all around my house. Favorite app. Okay. Okay, so... Okay. <laughs> My friends love the Trilla and the uh, Musically app because we challenge each other to like remake music videos and songs. And once that once you send them a video, you have to you have to answer, and your answer has to be ten times better. So there's a bunch of lip syncing videos on me on Instagram somewhere because that's our guilty pleasure. Mm-hmm. Also. Uh, what am I obsessed with? Oh, I'm obsessed with Game of Thrones. Really? Um, yes. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't. Do, I love Game of Thrones. Never seen it. Oh my god. No, I know all about it. Ish, kind of. Oh my god. I'm just. Nah, I'm good. I got my own shows. <laughs> That's true. Weird thing. I can't. Watch, I can't watch. I love horror movies. I'm a big horror movie fan. Every day in October, you watch a horror movie. However, at night, 
I cannot watch horror movies in the dark by myself. So much that I can't watch certain things in the dark by myself. So every night by nine o'clock, if I'm not watching some like award show or something other, like whatever other show, it has to be on Cartoon Network on Adult Swim. I will not be able to go to sleep if Adult Swim is not playing in the background. I don't know why. <laughs> I, I saw on Netflix, there's a new Chucky movie. I was like, wow, they're still putting out Chucky. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I was watching, um, what is it, Dangerous Minds or, I don't know, one of those one of those uh, psychological thrillers where they're always chasing like these <laughs> insane criminals and uh, criminal, criminal minds. That's what it was, criminal minds. I watched way too many episodes. I, my dreams started getting crazy. So I was like, All right, I need to knit back that off for a while. Told you. Told mm-hmm. you. Can't watch it. Uh-uh. Adults tonight. Adults <laughs> a little slightly inappropriate humor. Never hurt anybody, right? Yes. Hey, so how can people get in contact with you if they want to know more information? If you want to know more, um, my website is vividinnovators.com. Vivid, V-I-V-I-D, innovators, I-N-N-O-V-A-T-O-R-S.com. Um, that's where you can browse the website, see some of the services I've done, see some of the things I've done. On Instagram, I'm Dr. Vivid. On Facebook, Vivid Innovations Consulting, LLC. Um, and also on Twitter, I'm at Vivid Innovators. So uh, you can re- you can reach me anywhere, and I, you can attest to the fact I respond to direct messages fairly quick. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to, if you have any questions, and not even if it's you're looking for services, I even say if anybody's had just a question about their mental health, their emotional well-being, shoot me an inbox, shoot me a tweet, and I'll hook you up with resources. Or I can just chat with you for a while. Very good. Well, that has been an amazing hour, Dr. Ashley. I really appreciate your time. And I hope that um, people will definitely benefit, those who listen to the podcast. And I think they will. I hope so. And I really am honored uh, by you asking me to be a guest. I'm, I'm so appreciative of you letting me come into your world for an hour. I really enjoyed myself. And hopefully we can do something again together soon. Dr. Vivid, you shared so much. I hope people will go back and listen to this one more time, pull out what they can to better their life, maybe get some counseling for themselves, past stuff, new stuff. It never hurts. Definitely check her out on Instagram. She's got some really great 30-second videos. And hey, reach out if you need a motivational speaker or someone to help you with some programs. A doctorsperspective.net slash 44. Travel tip is coming up next. Thank you for listening to the podcast, A Doctor's Perspective. Thank you for writing reviews on wherever you listen to it, ranking us five stars, hopefully. Listen, you all know I got a book out. I've been working on a version 2.0. Right now, if you buy it, send me an email with the receipt and I can send you five bonus chapters. It'll just be this long PDF, but we're going to have some nerve stretches, creating and executing a budget, ways to cut expenses, optimal calorie consumption calculator fit directly for you, and some ideas about fasting. So if you want some of these bonus chapters before they're released in version 2.0, just send me that receipt via email and I'll get them over to you. As always, we got some t-shirt designs for the logo, uh, for chiropractic. There's also a buy host a cup of coffee, upgraded that. It's on the main webpage. And lastly, stay tuned. A secret project will be coming out. Definitely go to a doctorsperspective.net top right. There are all the social media icons. Pick which one you love to follow most. Friend me, like me, say hello. I'll definitely respond back. This week's travel tip. If you didn't know, 
all of these websites you can go to on your phone. If you use a mobile phone, sometimes they will actually have better discounts than if you use the website. So check your mobile before you buy. We just went hashtag behind the curtain and this episode has come to an end. I hope you got the right dose for your optimal life. Please spread the word about this podcast by telling two friends, sharing on social media, and visit the show notes on adoptersperspective.net to see all the references from today's guest. A sincere thank you in advance. You've been listening to Dr. Justin Trosclair, giving you a doctor's perspective.